Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Delighted to welcome you this morning, all of you in the overflow. God bless you. We uh, love you so much and can't possibly express how, how delighted we are to worship with you. Uh, friends in Perry, Oklahoma, God bless you. Brian, Tina, Ahern, we, we love you. Uh, all of you, we are in the middle of an emphasis in our church we're calling Fresh Encounter. It is more than just what's happening on Sunday morning. It's Sunday night, uh, special home groups, fellowship groups, Bible study groups. We are seeking uh, renewal. We're seeking revival, to use the old, the old time word. Uh, we're seeking what we cannot possibly produce for ourselves or buy for ourselves or get for ourselves. Revival is something that only God can bring to us. Scripture says if we return to him, he will return to us. And, and at Woodburn Baptist Church right now, we are praying for a great returning, a great returning of our hearts to God, a great returning of his Holy Spirit in power to us. Uh, understand we're not just asking for that on our behalf. We're praying every single Sunday, every single time we're together. We're praying for the very same thing for Church on the Square in Perry, Oklahoma. We're praying for the very same thing at the Franklin campus in Franklin. Uh, we want revival. We just want revival. One thing you learn as you study revival in Scripture and as you study revival in history is that there's never been a great revival without first there being a great repentance, uh, a great repentance. And, and so truly we are calling one another calling one another to, to come back to the Lord. It's just something about sinful human nature. Although we are believers and although we love the Lord with, with whole hearts, our tendency is, is to depart from him. Uh, our tendency is to leave the Lord, even though we love the Lord. It, it's a frightening and tragic tendency, but we do have this terrible, terrible propensity to, to walk away from God. And sometimes we don't even realize what's happened in our hearts. We don't even recognize the way apathy has taken over or, or the way a complaining spirit uh, begins to occupy our minds even when we gather for worship. Do you understand that when we gather together, there should be nothing on our hearts, nothing on our minds but the Lord? We depart so quickly but so surely, and coming back is, is difficult. It, it, it means we have to give up our pride. It means we have to sacrifice our own opinions and preferences. It means we have to repent of our sin. And come back to him. We talked last week about that tendency to depart. And I, I shared with you one great truth, one big truth. And that is that God wants all of his children to come home. He wants all of his children to return to him. That is the heart of God. He wants you to come back to him. It, it is not that you've gone so far you can never come back. Do you understand? He wants you. He longs for you to come back home. But the question today is, when God's children depart from him, as we all do, and God longs for us to come home, what does God do well, while he's waiting for us? Does God just sit on his hands and wait for us to, to, to finally make up our minds to return to him? Is, is that what God does? He just simply passively waits while we often begin to dabble in the sin that could ruin our lives? No. No, Scripture makes it absolutely plain that God does not just sit on his hands. He is a loving Father who is not going to sit back and let us walk away from all of his blessings and let us walk into his judgment and to all of the curse of our sin. You understand? God's not going to let that happen. And so Scripture talks about a principle which is called the Lord's discipline. The, the Lord's discipline. The Lord will discipline us. And if you're a believer, God's discipline is going to be an everyday part of your life. And that, my friend, is a blessing. God will discipline his children. Open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Let's start there. 
You really need a Bible in your hand today. If you don't have one, get one out of the pew in front of you. I'm going to use a lot of scripture. I'm going to keep you going, flipping pages. And I want your eyes in the scripture with me. So please uh, grab a Bible out of the pew or slide it off the lap of your neighbor, whatever you have to do. Get a Bible in your lap and in your hands and be ready to follow with me. It's good to grab a pen too. It's good to grab a pen and mark up in your Bible so you can come back and find these, these verses. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 12, thinking today about the Lord's discipline. What is it? How does God discipline us? And most importantly, how should we respond when God has to raise his voice uh, into our lives? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 is where we'll begin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? Notice these are encouraging words. Encouraging. God said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. Say those words with me. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. He disciplines the ones he loves and he punishes those he accepts as his children. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who was never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Underline that word holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. That is the understatement of the century. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful, but afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but become strong. Take your seats. I want to call your attention to a, a little something I saw on the internet this past week. Uh, guys, you can help me out on the screen, please. Uh, it's a picture of a note on a door. It's just one picture, one note, but, but I think you can sort of understand the story that goes with it. Notice what it says. You have missed curfew. Do not knock or ring the doorbell. You may sleep on the patio. I have been generous this time and provided a blanket. <laughs> Y'all don't think that's funny at all? <laughs> that's not funny at all. The funny thing is now your parents have a great idea, baby. <laughs> we can't wait. Wait, Harris, I'm begging you to come in late, man. I'm begging you to come in late. That is so awesome. Casey, the patio is right outside our bedroom window. We can lay there and watch him all night uh, on the patio. Yeah. <laughs> You've missed curfew. Yeah, there's a story here. There's a story here, and we can all sort of fill in the blanks of the story. Teenager misses curfew for the last time. Finally, mom and dad have taken some action. That's called discipline. I don't know how you feel about making your teenager slip on the patio, but I need to say something very serious to you this morning about, about discipline. 
Now, when Scripture speaks about discipline, it uses the analogy of our parents because that's the way most of us learn about discipline. And honestly, that's as it is intended by God. God intended that parents discipline because children need that. And in order to understand how God raises his voice and disciplines us, you need to understand something about how that's supposed to work in families. Now, the problem automatically is we were all raised and trained and disciplined by imperfect parents. So whoever your daddy was, whoever your mama was, whatever they were like, they may have been godly, wonderful people, but they were not perfect. And so your example of discipline from your parents has not been perfect. Let's just put that out on the table. So when we talk about God as being a loving father who disciplines us, you can probably learn some things from your parents' example, but not everything. Your parents are not perfect. God is perfect. And God is even perfect in his discipline. So let's go back to Scripture. Turn back to the book of Proverbs. Start with me in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. Let's first go back to what Scripture says about parents and discipline so that we can understand the analogy as Scripture uses it. Proverbs chapter 13, verses 24. First off, we're just looking at what Scripture says about earthly parents and discipline. But in every one of these instances, we can learn a lesson about God, okay? Proverbs 13, 24 says this. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. That's very severe language, isn't it? Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Now, let me say something right off the bat here. The rod of discipline, that doesn't necessarily suggest that the only way to discipline a child is, is with physical force or, or physical discipline. I got a lot of spankings growing up, probably not nearly as many as I should have. Uh, but but I, I was raised with, with parents who spanked. They spanked first and asked questions later. You, you know what I'm saying? But I was never abused, and their spanking was never, ever in, in anger. And I thank God for parents who loved me enough to, to discipline me. Now, I understand that a lot of parents these days don't want to uh, use physical discipline, and that is your prerogative. You need to follow the Holy Spirit in your life, and I will not interfere. But i got to tell you something. If you're not going to spank, you better have some other plan in mind. Understand, discipline is something that you are obligated to extend to your children. And the scripture makes it very, very clear. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. That's from Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. So discipline is a sign of love. It's a sign of love. It's a sign of love when godly parents discipline their, ch their children with wisdom, and it is a sign of God's love. It's a sign of his love. If God did not love us, then he would not care when we stray away from him and we begin to head toward the sin that would ruin our lives. It would not be a loving father who would let his children wander away into ruin. Do you understand? So discipline is always a sign of love. Now flip over. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18. Proverbs 19, verse 18. Discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. 
discipline your children while there is hope. There is this window of opportunity for those of us who have children in our care. This window of opportunity when we can have a, a tremendous influence for their good. And it requires discipline. A, a tremendous influence for their good. Now, when they are small, they're very, very cute. And some of us, just it just breaks our heart to have to discipline that child. But do you understand? If you neglect to discipline your children, you put them in real danger. Do you understand? Real danger. Discipline your children while there is hope or otherwise you will ruin their lives. You don't want to make that precious little princess unhappy for an afternoon, but you don't seem to understand that if you don't get a grip on this child, she is going to have a life that is going to be miserable. And if you don't learn how to spank her now, she will spank your heart later. Do you understand? She will have her life ruined. Discipline your children while there is hope. I, I know they're strong words. Keep going with me. Proverbs 22, verse 15. Proverbs 22, verse 15. A youngster's heart is filled with sugar and spice and everything nice, right? A youngster's heart is filled with snakes and snails and puppy dog tails. No, 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 no. A youngster's heart is filled with, say the word, foolishness. Yeah, certainly we're just talking about other people's kids. You know, like, like the people at Walmart with their kids running around like orangutans. We're talking about those people, right? No, no, I've seen you at Walmart, as a matter of fact. A youngster's heart is filled with foolishness, but physical discipline will drive it far away. Every child in her heart, in his heart, there's foolishness. Children are stupid. They just are. I know your child is an honor student at Rich Pine Elementary. I've seen your bumper sticker, but you don't understand. You don't understand. Remember that day when, when they were using the waterbed in your bedroom as, as home plate with cleats on, and they stepped on the waterbed with their cleats, and the waterbed just exploded? You see, that's stupid. That's, that's foolish. That, that, that's just foolish. I remember one time in my mama's kitchen, I, I tried to make homemade candles. I was like five years old. I, I read this in the encyclopedia uh, that I can make homemade candles. I just needed to melt paraffin wax, which we had in the cabinet, and, and I just needed to pour it in something, which would be a mold. So I looked for the first thing I could use, you know, to, to be a mold for a candle. I chose a styrofoam cup. So I held the styrofoam cup in this hand, and then I took the boiling pot of, 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 of hot lava, and I poured it into the styrofoam cup. What happened immediately? Yeah, it melted. And then what else? Yeah, I burned my hand. Yeah. Put that in your baby Einstein. You, you understand? It, it, it's, it's, it's foolish. It's foolish. Now, I'm not saying that there's something wrong with my head. I, I'm an average kid. I was an average kid. I'm an average adult. But, but the point is, children have a lot to learn, an awful lot to learn. And it is your obligation as a parent to train them, to, to, to teach them. It's exactly why this, the scripture says a youngster's heart is filled with foolishness. I'm not saying that, that, that they're dumb like that. They just have a lot to learn. And you've got to teach them. A youngster's heart is filled with foolishness, but discipline will drive it far away. See, it's the same principle in our lives with the Lord. Turn now to the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. It's a familiar verse. I, I want you to see what it says. 
Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that, say the words, comes from the Lord. The discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So what is our genuine source and example of discipline? It's not really your grandfather or even your daddy. You may not want to do it the way your parents did it. And God bless you, maybe your parents made mistakes. We all make mistakes. But what the scripture wants you to understand is that the real source and example of discipline is not our earthly father, it is our heavenly father. His love is perfect, his wisdom is perfect, and his discipline is perfect. God will discipline all of his children. Now, obviously, in, in the scripture and everything that the scripture says about discipline, it only applies to those who belong to the Lord. If you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, if you've never surrendered your heart to the offer of salvation which Christ gives to you, and, and it's free, do you understand? If you've never received that and been adopted into God's family, then honestly, you're not his child. You're not his child. When Oprah says, We're all God's children, she is not correct. N not correct. Christ died on the cross that we all might become his children, but that's still the choice that you have. That's the choice that you have to make. We're talking about something that happens inside God's family. God loves his children, and God disciplines them. There's a special attention, a special care that God pays in the direction of the children that he loves. That's you and me as believers. So let's come up with a definition what is the Lord's discipline? How would you define that? I, I would say it simply this. God's discipline is any painful experience or circumstance that God allows in order to change your conduct or your character. God's discipline is, is actually any painful experience or circumstance that God allows in order to change your conduct or your character. Now that always raises the question then, if I'm in the middle of trouble, if, if, if I'm having a difficult morning, if, if something bad happened to me this morning, if I burned my Pop-Tart, or if I poured the bowl of cereal and there was no milk, is God disciplining me? I mean, my electric, uh, electric, electric company came and turned off my lights last week, or my transmission blew up, or, or I woke up this morning and it's a really bad hair day. Is this God's discipline? You know, I don't know. I don't know if I can answer that question for you. I simply know that as a believer, God's discipline is going to be a part of your life. And it's always a question worth asking. Well, whatever trouble I'm having, whatever's blowing up, whatever is falling off of my life right now, you should probably ask yourself, is this something from the Lord? Is God raising his voice in my life? Is he trying to tell me something? I don't know if anybody else in the world can answer that question for you, but it's always a question worth asking. Is God trying to tell me something? Is God trying to redirect my life? Is this trial, is this trouble happening for the purpose of changing my conduct, the way I'm acting, or, or my character? Is God trying to teach me something? It's, it's always worth asking. 
Because honestly, any painful experience, any painful circumstance can be allowed from God for the purpose of changing your conduct and your character. That's what a loving father does. Let's talk a little bit about how you'll experience this in your life. This gets really hard. I want you to turn back to Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2. As I said, if if you think only about how your own parents did this, some days they got it right, some days they got it wrong. As the scripture says in Hebrews, they just did the best they could. They did the best they could. What's God going to do? When God disciplines you, when God needs to get your attention, when God needs to raise his voice in your life, what's that going to look like? What's going to happen? How's that going to feel to you? Isaiah 59, let's start, let's start in verse 1. Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. Verse 2, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Whoa. Now, honestly, think this through. The scripture makes it plain that there's nowhere that you can go where you can be outside of God's presence. God is everywhere, and God is what we say, omnipresent. There is no place you can go truly to run away from him. You cannot escape him. You will never get out from under his gaze. You cannot run so far where his hand can't reach you. That's the truth of scripture. And yet... When in your heart you begin to rebel, when you do start in your own heart to try to walk away from God, God will absolutely give you this sense of his absence. Now, again, I remind you, as the scripture says, his arm's not too short, and there's no way that his ear has grown deaf, but as the Old Testament says, he can absolutely turn his face away from you. You will experience this in your life when you begin to let sin come in. You will begin to experience that God will turn his face away. There's no place you can go and get away from God. You cannot escape his spirit. But at the very same time, you will begin to sense an absence. God will no longer listen to your prayers, the scripture says. He will not listen to you. He will turn his face from you. It sounds very severe. For a God who loves me, That sounds very, very harsh. He would turn his face away from me. Now stop and think about this. God is holy. God is holy. God is pure. And there is nothing, no part of sin that resides with God. God God is holy, perfect. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all, the scripture says. So what happens when one of us who belongs to God, one of us who have been saved by the grace of Jesus, what happens when one of us begins to let sin back into our hearts? Now remember, God loves me, God loves you, and Jesus died to save me from my sin. But if I start to let that sin come back in, understand, God is holy and God is fiercely opposed to sin. God will always be fiercely opposed to sin because sin is all of the things that harm his creation. Sin is all of those things that contradict God's love. Sin entails all of those things that would destroy my life. So God is fiercely opposed to sin. So when I begin to let sin back into my life and understand, I'm going to meet God's opposition. 
That makes sense? I'm going to meet God's opposition. It's not that God no longer loves me. It's not even at that point about punishment. It's just the basic fact of God's holiness. He's fiercely opposed to sin. If sin resides in my heart, I'm going to meet God's opposition. You see, see, do you understand? God in his discipline, God in his love, he's going to have to begin to orchestrate the circumstances that will separate me from my sin. We call that salvation. We call that grace and deliverance. God needs to separate me from my sin so that then therefore I won't live a life of separation from him. God must separate me from my sin. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. For those of us who have walked closely with the Lord, this might be the first sign for you that you stepped off the path. You will suddenly begin to say that that when you pray, you just feel like the words are bouncing off the ceiling. You you feel like when you pray that that there's nobody listening. You just begin to live with this sense of God as if he's very, very far away from you. It's your sins that have separated you. It's your sins that have cut you off. And this is God's primary means of discipline. He will simply turn his face away from you. He turns his face away from you in order to bring you back, in order to give you the distance you may need so that you'll learn to reach for him again. He's got to separate you from your sin. There was a high school where they had this horrible problem with the girls the girls were in this really nasty habit of going in the, in the girls' room, whatever they do in there, I never want to know. They, they go in the girls' room, and they were just caking on lipstick, lip gloss, whatever it is. They were just caking on their lips, and then they were kissing the mirror. Go figure. They were just leaving all of these lip prints on the mirror, and the custodian had to come in every night and, and clean that off. And finally, the custodian complained to the principal that the girls are just doing this. I don't know why they're doing it. It's, they're doing it out of meanness. They're doing it out of spite. I've asked them to stop. Could not make the girls stop just caking on a lipstick and kissing the, the mirror in the girls' room. So finally, the principal said, I, I will put a stop to this. So he called in all the girls took them in the girls' room, crowded them in there, and said, now look at that mirror right there. Look at that mirror. Now who do you think has to clean that up? Somebody has to clean that up. Now who do you think it is? It's the custodian right here. Why don't you clean it off? Show them how much work it is. The custodian followed instructions, decided to clean it off to show them how much work it is. So he did what he always did. He took the rag out of his back pocket, walked over and dipped it in the toilet, Wipe down the mirror. You know what? No girl ever kissed that mirror again. Why is that? Because now they knew what they were kissing. You see, sometimes in your life, God will turn his face away from you. It's your sins that cut you off. And something's got to happen so that you learn what you're kissing. So that you learn what it is that you've cozied up to in your life. This sin will destroy you. Turn back a few chapters. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. We're still talking about the Lord's discipline and how you're going to experience that in your life. You ever heard in church people talk about a hedge of protection? You ever heard people pray for a hedge of protection? It comes from Isaiah chapter 5. It comes from this scripture right here. 
And this is a passage that's talking about God's people who have departed. And in the passage, the prophet is going to talk about God's people in terms of there being like a vineyard, like a garden, a vegetable garden. But, but here's the language. God's speaking about his people that have strayed. And he says, now let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will tear down its hedges and let it be destroyed. I will break down its walls and let the animals trample it. I will make it a wild place where the vines are not pruned and the ground is not hoed, a place overgrown with briars and thorns. I will command the crops to drop no rain on it. It's sort of the second way that God will respond, the way God will discipline you. In simple terms, God will remove his protection from you. He will just simply remove that hedge of protection from around your life. See, the fact is, you have no idea how God watches out for you every single day. Because you are his child, you just sort of live in, in, this, in this state of forgetfulness. You take for granted that God is always going to shield your life. That God is going to be there to bless you and let the rain fall upon you and protect you. And, and the scripture says that there comes a point when you begin to stray off in sin, God will just absolutely remove his protection from your life. I can't think of anything more dreadful or, or frightening, but, but honestly, this is where some of you are living right now. This is exactly why you feel like every time you get out of bed, something, something pops you in the skull. You feel like every day you get up, it, it just continues to go from bad to worse. It's very possible that because of your sin, God has just simply removed his protection from your life. Again, this isn't necessarily God trying to ruin you. It's not God trying to do anything bad to you at all. God is not the author of evil. God is not the one who's going to come and, and, and trample you and destroy you, but God will absolutely, when it becomes necessary, remove his hand of protection from you. And then you're vulnerable. Then you're vulnerable to the enemy, the devil. You're vulnerable to the world. There is no umbrella of protection over you. Do you understand? It's God's discipline. It's not that God stands back and throws lightning bolts your way. God just simply removes his protection and the lightning bolts will fall. He removes his hand of protection. Now turn back to Galatians chapter 6. This one's probably the one you're a little more familiar with. It's absolutely the one that you just can't even deny. This is such a basic principle of life and a basic principle of the spiritual life. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7. The third way you're going to experience God's discipline in your life. This is the big one. Oh my goodness, this is so big. The old King James says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. I love that. There's nothing like that. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's the law of reaping and sowing. The New Living Translation says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. See how God's discipline works? As I said, it's not God standing off throwing lightning bolts your way. But, but in Galatians chapter 6, what makes perfectly clear is that God, in his perfect wisdom and discipline, God will just simply let you reap the harvest of your sin. God will let you face all the consequences of your choices, the full consequences of your choices. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. This is horrible 
in our lives. And, and honestly, this is, this is the way that many of us suffer in our lives. We are just simply right now reaping what we've sown through the years. Right now, you, you've got a daughter, and she, she has nothing to do with you. She won't talk to you. She won't call you. She tells you to get out of her life. And, and then you have to sit back and remember that that's exactly what you did to your mother. Did you, do you understand that? It's this amazing principle of seed time and harvest that we tend to reap. We tend to harvest exactly, precisely what we sow in life. And this is the way God disciplines us. It's a very, very simple principle, but he simply allows us to reap what we sow. We will face the consequences of the choices that we make. Let me say a word to parents right here because this is the place where we cross over into bad parenting. It's usually with this principle right here. It is my tendency as a father to love my son. It is my tendency as a father and your tendency as a parent to want to protect your children. And you know that there's foolishness in their hearts. And you know that they're going to make bad choices. And we can't make their choices for them. And there is a period of time when a lot of our energy is spent trying to protect them from the awful consequences of their choices. But there is a point as a child begins to grow when honestly that's the only way that he's going to learn. It's the only way that she will learn. She has to begin to reap what she sows. This is God's way of dealing with us. This is God's principle. Be not deceived. God is not mocked, the scripture says. Whatever a person sows, that's what they're going to reap. Now, this is the problem with many of us as we begin to continue to parent our older children We still want to protect them from the consequences. And this is exactly why you've got a 30-something-year-old son who still acts like a 12-year-old. Do you understand? Because he's never, ever had to face the consequences of his choices. You always step in, and you always interfere, and you always try to block what God is actually trying to do in his life. There is this very, very clear principle that this is how life is structured and this is how God teaches and trains us. We reap what we sow. And if in your life you continue to interfere with that in the lives of your own children, your adult children, or in the lives of your friends, your family, there is just this simple way that we learn and we typically have to somehow face the consequences of our choices. If we never do that, we never learn anything. The problem is, again, the principle is the harvest. If you plant a single seed corn, one single kernel of corn, you put it in the ground, what comes up? A single kernel of corn? No. A plant, a large corn plant with multiple ears. Do you understand? It's not immediate. It's later. But it's also greater. That's the That's the harsh thing about reaping what we sow. What we reap, what we harvest is going to be later and greater. It's going to be later and greater. Sometimes it seems like it's out of proportion. The suffering we can bring on ourselves by one foolish choice seems almost unfair, but it's absolutely fair because that's what you planted. It's exactly what you planted, and there should be no surprises in it. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. In your life right now, some of you are reaping an awful harvest. 
Do you understand? This is God at work in your life. This is God who is trying to teach you to make different decisions, trying to turn you and separate you away from your sin. This is how God works. Now understand, God will forgive us our sins, but forgiveness does not erase the harvest. This is what a lot of us want to do. We want to go out and sin and then just pray that God will bring a bad harvest. God, I've just slept with my boyfriend. Please don't let me get pregnant. Please don't let me get pregnant. Please don't Don't you understand? God can forgive your sin, but God typically does not erase the consequences. You may still live with the consequences. You have sex on prom night, you may live the rest of your life with a sexually transmitted disease. You understand? God will forgive your sin, but it will not remove the principle of reaping what you sow. It's consequences. It's consequences. Back to Hebrews chapter 12. What's the purpose of this? Why does God discipline us? Go with me to verse 10. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. Our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his, say the word, holiness. So that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, later, there will be a peaceful harvest of righteousness, right living for those who are trained in this way. Why does God discipline us? He loves us. But God wants to produce things in our lives that honestly can never come unless unless we grow, unless we stay near him, unless he's allowed to do his perfect work in our hearts. God wants two things for us. The first one is holiness. God wants us to be holy as he is holy. That word literally means morally perfect. No right, I'm sorry, no wrong inside my heart, no darkness inside my heart. God wants me to be absolutely holy as he is holy. In other words, we could say that, that I'm supposed to be like Jesus. I'm being made to be more Christ-like every single day in my life. That's character. God wants to build Christ's character inside of me. But, but more than that, God wants to produce this harvest, it says, of righteousness, right living. It's character, it's the man I am on the inside, but it's also conduct. It's how I live, the things I do. God wants to shape my character, the man I am on the inside, and my conduct, the things I do on the outside. God is training me. God is teaching me. God is shaping me. And this is exactly what I want God to do. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be holy as he is holy because I want to be with him. I want to be like him. Do you understand? Don't you? Don't you? So as the scripture says, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of righteousness for those trained in this way. Why does God discipline me? Why does he discipline you? God allows me to to suffer what is not pleasant so that I can gain what is pleasant, holiness and, and righteousness. So last thing, how are you supposed to respond? How are you supposed to respond when God disciplines you, when God raises his voice in your life? Back up to verse 5, quoting from the Proverbs again. My child, two responses here. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline 
and don't give up when he disciplines you. There are two responses there that are described, and they're both extremes, and they're both to be avoided. The first one, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. The, the word there would mean don't be callous to it. You ever seen that kid? Maybe you raised that kid. Maybe you were that kid. That kid that no matter what the parent does, you cannot break his will. You cannot make him sorry. You cannot change his mind. That kid will just stand there and look at you and defy you. You ever seen that kid? Were you that kid? Yeah, this is what the scripture says. Don't be callous like that. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't act like this isn't serious. Don't act like what God says you doesn't matter. Don't you dare stand there and stare at him privately while he raises his voice into your life. Don't be callous to it. But the other extreme, don't give up. Again, the word there would be collapse. Don't be callous to the Lord's discipline, but, but don't collapse either. I mean, some of us... When God disciplines us, when God lets these things happen, we just simply collapse. We, we, we lose faith. We get very, very bitter. We begin to act as if God doesn't love us, or we begin to act as if we don't love God. We just collapse under the weight of his discipline. And the scripture says, don't do either of those things. Don't be callous. Don't, don't take it lightly, but don't collapse either. There's the... Response in the middle, and that's how we're supposed to respond when God tries to redirect us. There was a father who was trying to raise a boy. The son had gotten to the point where he was probably old enough to, to go out by himself and go several blocks uh, over to the next subdivision to his friend's house. The father agreed that, that the son was probably able to do that by himself, but it still made everybody... a really, really nervous. And so the father on the first day said, son, I'll let you go to your friend's house. I'll let you go over there. I want you to go straight there and I want to give you my cell phone. And as soon as you get to your friend's house, as soon as you're there, I want you to call me and let, let me know that you arrived. The son said, okay, dad, thanks. I mean, this kid's awesome now. He's going to go blocks by himself and he's got a cell phone. Got a cell phone. So, uh, few minutes passed, the father was waiting, the father was waiting, a little bit nervous, a little anxious, but finally the phone rings at home, son says, dad, I made it, I'm here, father says, son, thanks, great, have fun, so that became the pattern, that the son could go out, he could go out by himself, he could ride his bike, he could go to his friend's houses, but he always needed to take the cell phone and he needed to call his dad and just let his dad know that he got there safe, every parent in the world wants that call, just call me and let me know you're safe. And the son said, okay, dad, I will, I always will. And the son did for a while. And then the more he did it, the more freedom he had, he just started sort of, you know, forgetting to call. He got more confident. Everybody knew he could do it now, and he just started thinking it didn't matter. Even though his father had said, always call me, and the son said, dad, I always will. Just stop calling. So the father realized he was going to have to do something here, so... So one of those occasions, the son goes to the friend's house. He's got the phone with him. The father waits and waits and waits. The son never calls. So the father calls him. He says, son, you didn't call me. He said, daddy, I'm sorry. I meant to. I just forgot. The father said, okay, I understand how you can forget, but don't let it happen again. Next time you forget, you're coming home. If I have to call you, you're going to come home. Okay, dad. The son said, okay. You know, the very next time, the very next time that kid left the house and his dad said, here's the phone, call me to get there. The son said, okay, dad, I will. Phone didn't ring. Phone didn't ring. 
And the dad realized he's going to have to follow through. He's going to have to call his son and say, come home. You're coming home. So the dad went over and, and, and went to the house phone and he started dialing. He just, it, it's as if at that moment the Lord spoke to him and the Lord said, I want you to treat your son like I would treat you. Treat your son like I would treat you. So the father had dialed the phone. It rang like half a ring and the father stopped. He just, he just cut, the, cut the line and said, I'll give him five more minutes. Five more minutes. Well, while he still had the phone in his hand, the phone rang and it was the son. I said, hello, son. said, dad, dad, I- I'm sorry. I-, I got here. They had pizza. I sat down and started eating, and-, and I forgot to call you. But then the phone rang like a half a ring, and I remembered. Half a ring, and I remembered, dad, I- I'm sorry. I- I'm here, and I won't let it happen again. Father said, okay, son, don't let it happen again. But, but you know what? There's something about a kid that will remember on half a ring. And this is the lesson I want you to hear today. You want to be the child. You want to be the daughter of God. You want to be the son of God who will respond to God's discipline with with like half a ring. Do you understand? You don't want God to have to raise his voice into your life. You don't want to reach the point where God has to turn his face from you or where God begins begins to remove his hand of protection from you. Why would you let it come to that? Why would you be that one? Why would you be the child who rebels, who stands there pridefully, spitting in the face of God? Why would you do that? One more scripture. This one's important. Psalm 32, verses 8 and 9. Underline this one. Psalm 32, verses 8 and 9. This is the Lord speaking. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. Let that sink in. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. Now, the best pathway means the best pathway. God sees it and God knows it. God knows your heart. God knows all of the ways he intends to bless you. God knows everything he's put inside of you. God knows what brings you joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. And God wants to lead you there. Do you understand? I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Verse 9. Don't be like a senseless horse or a mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. Don't be like a mule. Don't be stubborn. Don't be that child of God that constantly has to be brought back onto the path. Don't be that child who will not listen. Don't be the child that rebels. Don't be that child who will stand there and despise the very discipline of a loving Heavenly Father. Don't be that child. Don't be that Christian. Right now, in your life, For some of you, God's raising his voice. God is trying to tell you something. You can sense the way that he's turned his face away from you. You can feel that distance, that that absence of him from your life. Even though he hasn't moved, you, my friend, have drifted a long way from him. 
He's turned his face away from you. He's beginning to remove the hand of protection from your life. You're beginning to feel the full weight of consequences of your sin. Don't you understand? This is the operation of a loving father in your life. He allows this pain for you. It's it's temporary. I, I trust. I pray it's temporary so that you will come back to him so that you will hear his voice, so that you will listen to him. God says, I want to guide you down the very best pathway for your life. Don't be stubborn as a mule. Why don't you be the child who listens? Pray with me. God, some of us in this house today are are truly your children, Lord. We we belong to you. We have confessed our faith in Christ. We are in your family, Lord, but we are are the children who stray. Lord, some of us are, are that stubborn, stubborn daughter, that wayward, wayward son who will not listen, who will not turn back, who simply will not be broken. God, we understand that in your love, it must break your great heart to see any one of us suffer, any one of us, Lord, suffer. At the same time, Lord, you will allow temporary pain to to save our souls. Allow us, Lord, to lose nearly everything in this life to save our souls in the life to come. God, I pray that we would cooperate with you, that we would listen, that we would be soft clay in your hands as you mold our character and shape and guide our conduct. God, there are many of us in this house who still cling to our sin. We show up in church every Sunday. We sometimes carry our Bibles and we sometimes will say very, very religious things, but Lord, our hearts are far from you. God, I just pray, I just pray whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, Lord, for this church to be brought back to you, Lord, whatever it takes. Lord, whatever it takes for this pastor to have his pride destroyed, Lord, whatever it takes to make me soft and malleable in your hands, Lord, whatever it takes. Lord, whatever it takes for the men in this church, Lord, who continue to uh, live such separate lives from their family, separate lives from their wives, separate lives from the Savior of their hearts, Lord, I pray whatever it takes to uh, break these men. And Lord, I pray that it I pray that it not take much. Whatever it takes, Lord, for our teenagers, whatever it takes, Lord, to drive the foolishness out of their hearts, whatever it takes, Lord, to train up our children in the way they should go, Lord, Lord, whatever it takes. Because, God, you want to guide us down the best path for our lives. You want to bless us. You want to rain down good things upon us. You you want us to share your holiness that we may be like you and one day be in your presence face to face, Lord. We want that too. We need revival. Lord, we need renewal. We need to be brought back to you. So God, bring us back to you. Let us not be stubborn, Lord. Let us not be like the horse or the mule that needs a bridle and a constant, constant jerking, Lord, back onto the path, Lord. Let us 
hear your voice the first time and obey the first time. Lord, in this house, whether you must whisper or whether you must raise your voice, I pray that you speak into every heart. Break every heart. Bring every heart back to the Heavenly Father in whose name we pray. Amen.